Hi, everyone. In today's podcast, we're looking at Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 26. And as always, our goal is to see if we can work out the literal sense of the text. What is the text itself saying? What was Jesus trying to communicate? Uh, and what, were the, what was the gospel author trying to communicate? And that's the place we should start when we want, we want to study the Bible. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 26. When Jesus was speaking, up came one of the officials, who bowed low in front of him, and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and her life will be saved. Jesus rose, and, with his disciples, followed him. Then from behind him came a woman who had suffered from a hemorrhage for twelve years, and she touched the fringe of his cloak, for she said to herself, If I can only touch his cloak, I shall be well again. Jesus turned around and saw her, and he said to her, Courage, my daughter, your faith has restored you to health. And from that moment, the woman was well again. When Jesus reached the official's house and saw the flute players, with the crowd making a commotion, he said, Get out of here. The little girl is not dead. She is asleep. And they laughed at him. But when the people had been turned out, he went inside and took the little girl by the hand, and she stood up. And the news spread all around the countryside. So what's our context here? We're about halfway through Matthew chapter 9. So Jesus has been doing ministry in the Galilee region. He's been preaching and doing healings, particularly in Capernaum, his hometown. So in the previous passage, Jesus was approached by John the Baptist's disciples and they asked him a question about fasting. So that's what happened last time. And we're right in the midst of a section where Matthew um, records 10 different miracles that Jesus does. We're going to see two miracles in today's passage. According to Mark, if you look at Mark's version of this, it's a bit more complete. Uh, The following scene happens by the lakeside, apparently, or at least some of it that starts at the lakeside. So, as with uh, a lot of other chapters near this one in Matthew, sort of Matthew 8, 9, and 10, perhaps, Matthew is kind of doing shortened versions of longer stories which are found in the Gospel of Mark. Verse 18, while Jesus was speaking, so while he's still speaking to John's disciples, this happens straight after, apparently, up came one of the officials. Now, what's an official? Different translations have this word rendered differently. So some translations have this as ruler and others call other translations have this man being called leader of the synagogue. And Mark actually tells us the man's name. Mark says the name of this man is Jairus. I think we can assume that leader of the synagogue is a reasonable translation. That would be like a Jewish official. So these were prominent laymen. They're not priests. They're laymen whose job it was to oversee the synagogue's activities and finances. So maybe uh, perhaps like a president of the parish council. Maybe that's the equivalent here. He was probably present earlier when Jesus had been preaching in the local synagogue. So he's probably seen Jesus preaching in one of his own synagogues. So he comes to Jesus and bowed low in front of him. So Jairus finds Jesus and Mark's account makes it clear that he's pleading with him. And he says, my daughter has just died. Now, this is one of these verses that's really interesting from a scholarly perspective in helping us understand uh, 
what exactly it means to say that the Bible is inspired. Uh, What does it mean to say that the gospel authors are trying to accurately communicate Jesus' words? And do we have contradictions in the Bible? It's a really interesting verse for that because here, so in Matthew's version, Jairus says, my daughter has just died. Whereas Mark's version says she is at the point of death. Now, those are two quite different things. They both can't be true at the same time. So one of the two authors, Matthew or Mark, has changed it slightly to make it clearer to his readers. Now, that might trouble us a little bit, um, but as as we'll see, I don't think it has to. I think what happens here is Mark's version is the more precise version. So when Mark here says she's at the point of death, I think that that was the original thing Jesus says. Because if you read later in Mark's account, we learn that she dies while Jesus is on the way to the house. So Mark actually tells us that. Matthew doesn't tell us that um, because Matthew doesn't tell us well, at least in the same way, Matthew doesn't tell us what happens on the way. So Matthew has kind of shortened the whole thing rather than just saying, uh, rather than saying what Mark did, where uh, when Jairus first comes to him, she's at the point of death. And by the time he arrives at the house, she's dead. Matthew just shortens that to say, uh, when Jairus comes, he says, my daughter is dead. So this is an example of how the gospel authors sometimes condense things. And they have to because they have limited, uh, you know, Scrolls were quite expensive, so they couldn't write infinitely long Gospels. So they do select and condense things, and they do not always keep word-for-word precision. So the Catholic view is not that the Gospel authors communicate word-for-word what Jesus said in every single case. However, the Catholic teaching clearly is the Gospel authors do not make things up. They don't put words in Jesus' mouth. They always tell what really happened. So the story overall does communicate exactly what happened, but occasionally they might shuffle words around to make it clearer to the hearers um, or even just to shorten things. So they leave details out sometimes. Hopefully that makes sense. And that might trouble us a little bit because that's not how we write history today. But that's only because we have, uh, you know, it's a lot less costly to write longer manuscripts, whereas in that culture, you couldn't do that. So it is a really interesting um, verse to look at. Um, for that, from that perspective. So Jesus, sorry, Jairus says, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and her life will be saved. So Jairus knows that Jesus has done this for other people and he wants to do it now for his daughter. Verse 19, Jesus rose and with his disciples followed him. So at this point, Jesus and his disciples and probably the crowd sets off for the house, which is probably in Capernaum somewhere. Now, Mark's gospel, his version, which is longer, tells us that at this point, there's a huge crowd following Jesus and they're pressing all in around him. And it's quite almost quite an aggressive crowd that follows him to the house. Verse 20, then from behind him, and Mark's gospel tells us this is a planned contact. The woman deliberately comes up behind him in the crowd comes a woman who had suffered from a hemorrhage for 12 years. Now, more literally, what the Greek says here is not hemorrhage. That's a uh, Western medical term. What it says here is flow of blood. Some scholars think this could be an issue with her menstrual cycle, because that's an interesting phrase, a flow of blood. Not necessarily, but it could be. Certainly chronic bleeding results in weakness and fatigue. So this woman is very sick. And according to the law of Moses... The woman's perpetual bleeding, if this is a menstrual cycle issue, 
That means that anything she touches or sits on becomes unclean as well. And on top of that, everyone else would have to avoid contact with her or they would become unclean as well. That's in Leviticus 15. So there's these quite strict rules about um, when women have their menstrual cycle, they become unclean. So usually for most women, that would be, you know, once a month, they would become unclean. But if this woman has a persistent issue with that, that means that she's permanently unclean, basically, and she can never worship in the temple. So this woman probably is a true outcast in society, and it's not her own, it's not her fault. It's just a medical issue. Now, Mark's version here of the gospel tells us this woman has tried to go to numerous doctors, and none of them have been able to help, and she's only getting worse. So this woman would be desperate. So she touches the fringe of Jesus' cloak. The fringe of the cloak was considered to be the religious part of a man's clothing. So she might be um, choosing to touch his fringe deliberately. And this is what she says to herself. If I can only touch his cloak, I will be well again. Now, this woman is probably guessing. She probably doesn't know that because as far as we know, nothing like this has happened yet in Jesus' ministry where just touching Jesus is enough. But she turns out to be right. Her guess is correct. Now, this verse is one of the key verses that informs the Catholic teaching on relics. And in a nutshell, the church's teaching there is objects which belong to holy people or healers can themselves impart healing power. Obviously, there's more to say there, but kind of that's almost what's going on here. The woman doesn't touch Jesus. She touches his cloak, and that's enough to release holy power. Now, again, Mark's version gives us more details here. Mark's version says that as soon as the woman touches him, she becomes well again, and then Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? You remember that conversation. Um, Mark doesn't include that conversation here. It just goes straight to verse 22. Jesus turned around and saw her and he says, courage, my daughter. So that's a term of deep intimacy and affection. And he says, your faith has restored you to health. Or more literally, your faith has made you well. So this tells us it wasn't the key ingredient here wasn't Jesus cloak as such that probably although it was necessary that's not the key ingredient that Jesus focuses on what made the healing possible the key ingredient was the woman's faith that's what healed her so presumably this verse probably tells us that someone that doesn't have strong faith probably like many in the crowd here would not have been healed if they simply touched Jesus even if Jesus cloak has power it doesn't necessarily work the same for everyone. And of course, that's the same Catholic teaching about sacraments today. All the sacraments have the ability to part true God's grace. Um, truly they can, but it does depend on the uh, disposition of the person receiving it. It's an interesting um, healing, isn't it? The word that's used here for uh, your faith has made you well, it can actually mean your faith has saved you. So there might be some salvific ramifications here. And from that moment, the woman was well again. So that's the first healing in today's reading. It's quite a miraculous, incredible healing. Verse 23, when Jesus reached the official's house, so Jesus has been on the way to Jairus' house. Now, Mark's version tells us that at this point, Jesus only takes Peter and James and John with him into the house, although Mark, sorry, although Matthew doesn't tell us that. So they get to the house and they see the flute players with the crowd making a commotion. And Mark's version here says they're weeping and wailing loudly. So the relatives of, of the girl who's dead are distraught. 
There might also be some hired mourners here. That was a Jewish practice where um, you would hire people to let the community know that someone has died. So these hired people would groan and wail loudly. And that was the accepted way of mourning the dead in that culture. Verse 24, he said to the, um, to the people in the house, get out of here, or more literally, get out or even go away is another translation of that. Go away, said Jesus. And then he says, the little girl is not dead. She is asleep. And the basic meaning of that, of course, is she's not dead permanently. So Jesus, it's a funny phrase. She's not dead. She is asleep because she is actually dead, but she's not dead permanently. So it's an interesting choice of language there from Jesus. And it probably tells us about our own eternal destiny as well. When we die, uh, in fact, this applies to everyone. When we die, it's not the last time we'll ever be alive as such. Everyone kind of gets resurrected in a way on the last judgment day. So we're only dead temporarily when uh, at our first death. So he says that, but then the people in the house laughed at him. They do not believe that the little girl will rise again, and they actually think Jesus is a bit crazy. So once again, he turned the people out. That's the language that's used. So he actually tells them to get out of the house when they laugh at him. Why does Jesus get rid of them? Two reasons. Jesus does not want to be crowded around while doing this miracle. He wants space. And secondly, there's also this teaching which comes through in the Gospels that Jesus can only do miracles if the people in that area have enough faith. And he perceives that the people in the house at the moment don't have enough faith, so he gets rid of them. So he goes inside and takes the little girl by the hand. So this time, Jesus takes the initiative. His physical touch is the important element here. Mark's version adds what Jesus says here, which is Talitha Kum, or little girl come forth, something like that. But Matthew doesn't tell us the words that he uses. So she stands up straight away. She's perfectly fine. She just gets up. Verse 26, and the news spread all around the countryside. Now, this is Jesus' most amazing miracle yet. He's literally just raised someone from the dead. Some of the people there probably would have recognized that overcoming death is something that only God can do. So people here might have started to realize, wow, maybe this is the Messiah. Now, to finish this section, I want to include a quote from the Catholic commentary on sacred scripture from the book of Mark. So I think, although we've looked at the book of Matthew today, this quote from the commentary on Mark, I think, summarizes this whole section of miracles really well. The raising of Jairus' daughter is the climax of the series of miracles in this section. Each one increasingly reveals Jesus' power to overcome death. He has rescued his disciples from near certain death in the storm on the lake, delivered a man whose existence was a living death among the tombs, restored to health a woman whose life was draining away, and raised a dead girl to life. In each case, the way to experience Jesus' saving power is to reject fear and yield to faith, a deeply personal faith that comes into living contact with him. Mark is preparing his readers to grasp the magnitude of Jesus' ultimate conquest of death in his resurrection, the prelude to the resurrection of all believers to eternal life. So that's from the Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture for the Gospel of Mark, and I think it's an excellent summary of the last few miracles we've been seeing. 
Now, the next part of Matthew chapter 9 is about the two blind men. Now, that's in verses 27 to 31. That's actually not read in ordinary time as part of the normal uh, weekday cycle. It's only read once and it's in a different time of the year. So Friday of the first week in Advent. So if you want to hear the next bit chronologically in Matthew, uh, go back and have a look through the podcast archives for Friday of the first week of Advent, which is the next part here. So there's no catechism references for us to look at today. So we'll finish it there. Thank you once again for your support. And we'll, hopefully you'll tune in again tomorrow to hear more from the Gospel of Matthew.